The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So we've been going through a series on the attributes of God. Attributes is just the idea of what God is like. So we want to know truth about God so that we don't make up our own God, a fake God. Um, But we don't just want to know truth about God. We want to know God himself. God wants to be known. Um, Christianity is beautiful and unique for its emphasis that you can have a relationship with God. And that's the point. So we've been going through different aspects of God, different um, attributes that he has. Last week we saw that God is good. He's full of excellent generosity. And this week it almost feels like a massive channel change. We're gonna look at how God is full of wrath. Wrath. So how do you feel as I say that? God is full of wrath. Anybody like, I'm glad I didn't bring a friend. Is anybody like, oops, I brought a friend. (laughs) Wrong Sunday. Mm. Um, You know, this this idea is nearly unbelievable in uh, modern Western religion, stereotypically, of course, but you read the polls. um, People just don't have any concept of the idea that God could be um, angry with them. Uh, There's a story, uh, theologian D.A. Carson tells a story that uh, illustrates this idea. He's talking about a conversation in a book he wrote um, with a friend from French West Africa that he met while he was studying in Germany, okay? And he noticed over time that his friend, whose wife was studying medicine in London, would about once a week head to the red light district and rent a woman. So Carson felt like he knew him well enough to ask him about it, so he did. And, he, and this is what he said. This is recorded in one of his books. He said, so what would you say if you found your wife was doing the same thing in London? And the man said, I'd kill her. DA said, that sounds like a bit of a double standard. And the man said, yes, but from my culture, in my tribal structure, she would be dishonoring me. It would be a matter of honor. I would have to kill her. And by the way, you know, a lot of the world thinks this way. DA says to him, but you told me you were brought up in a mission school. You were taught the Bible. You know the God of the Bible doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't have one set of standards for men and one set of standards for women. The man replied, yeah, but God is good. He's bound to forgive us. That's his job. What do you think? What do you think about that story? Uh, Tell me you didn't feel a little bit of your own wrath for that man. Come on. You felt a little of your own wrath. Do you agree with him that God's main purpose in existing is to not care about the evil we do? Um, Christian Smith's a sociologist. He's done lots of studying on what American uh, youth, at this point they're not youth anymore, millennials believe. And uh, he, he doesn't care what official religion they claim. Um, he says what they actually believe, he calls it moralistic therapeutic deism. This is what Americans believe. Moralistic, God generally wants you to be nice. Therapeutic, God's entire purpose in existing is to make you feel happy about yourself. He's never mad. He has no wrath. Deism, 
he's not really around anymore. He, he's not close. He's kind of over there and far away, not super relevant to your life. That's what people believe. And so we have this wrestling match. We talked about how God was good. Last week, our culture almost doesn't even, can't find a concept for a God who has wrath. And here we are today um, talking about God's wrath and maybe admitting to ourselves that sometimes we're embarrassed about this. Do you ever feel embarrassed about the wrath of God? Maybe it comes out in a conversation or somebody brings up a text in scripture and you're kind of like, can we just, maybe we should emphasize love and kind of treat God's wrath like the weird cousin in Alabama, we don't talk about him. There's a couple problems with that, with ignoring God's wrath. Number one is just honesty. It's just honesty. If you've read the Bible for very long, I don't care what book you're in, I don't care whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, guess what you're gonna run into? You're gonna run into God's wrath. It, we would be dishonest, disingenuous if we never talk about God's wrath. Uh, if we have a wrathless Christianity, we're not getting it from the scriptures. We're just not. So there's an honesty issue. The second thing, though, is that our hearts need God to be wrathful. We need it so badly. Not just because it's true, it, it honestly helps us. It really helps us. So this is what we're gonna do today in three parts. Obviously, there's no way we can touch on every piece of God's wrath in the scriptures. Way too broad. So we're just gonna look at three things today briefly. Number one, what God's wrath is. What are we talking about? Get a little on that. Number two, why do we need it? I said it's good for us. Why is it good for us? Number three, how should we respond to the reality that the real God has wrath? So what God's wrath is, why we need it, how we respond. Okay, what are we talking about when we talk about God's wrath? Are we talking about a temper tantrum? Does he just lose it sometimes? He doesn't get what he wants and can't handle himself anymore? Is he the, the toddler of the universe? You know, starts throwing his toys. Or, or last week we talked about God being love. Is God moody like we are? <laughs> We've known each other long enough, right? Um, do we all have our swings? Sometimes we're delightful to be around. And other times, not as delightful. Is God like that? Like last week we talked about him being good. This week we're talking about having wrath. On Saturdays, God is good. Sundays, God is love. Mondays, Mondays stink, right? God is wrath. Is that how it works for him? Of course not. God is perfect. We could talk about his aseity if we wanted to be super theologian. Theological, it means he's always all that he is all the time in all places. It's not a mood swing. It's not um, out of control. Look at Psalm 7, verses 11 to 12. I think it gives a, a fair picture of what wrath is all about. Psalm 7, 11 to 12. Look what it says about God. God is a what? Righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. So let's just leave that text up there. Number one, he's a judge. He's not just a judge, he's the judge. He made everything, it's all his. His character is the standard of good and evil. Um, the buck stops there, right? With what good and evil is and who decides it and what, and what, 
the sentence is, he is the judge. He is the source. He's the authority. But not only that, he's a righteous judge. And in context here, that means he loves what is good. He cares about um, what is beautiful, what is right, and what is true. And if he's a judge who is righteous, he loves what is right, what does he feel every day as he looks out on the world? Indignation. And I honestly don't know how we can be upset with him for this. For me, it's easier to believe that God is wrathful than it is for me to believe that he's loving. And don't get me wrong, I'm totally convinced that he's loving. But it's easier for me to believe that God is wrathful. Come on, come on, look at our political climate today. What is everybody full of? Wrath. We're all full of indignation every day. Did you read any news this week? There was a march in the United States of America with people holding Nazi flags this week. Does that make you feel anything? Indignation, we could go on and on. We could go on and on for the rest of uh, the year and talk about the details of injustice and evil and abuse that are happening everywhere. And we, as sinful people, not the ultimate standard, not the ultimate judge, not nearly as righteous as he, we feel indignation. We feel, oh, this is wrong. How much more? God. He's a righteous judge. So then we say, well, why doesn't he act? You ever had that question? If he's so righteous, if he feels indignation, why doesn't he act? It's a complicated question with a complicated answer, but here's one answer. Look at verse 12. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. One reason he doesn't bring perfect wrath to every moment at every time is, well, just think of your own story. First time you really sinned. You deserved wrath. If you got it, guess what would never have happened to you? You never would have been saved from your sins. God is so mind-blowingly patient with his wrath. So patient with his wrath to the point that we start disbelieving there is any. We just don't think, well, there must not be. He hasn't punished me yet. Maybe he's never gonna punish. Well, the, the, the verse here says, if a man does not repent, he doesn't act yet because he's always giving time and kindness for repentance. That's one reason. He gives time for repentance. Praise God, I needed that time. But if a man does not repent, God will wet his, what? He will wet his disapproving words. No, that's not what it said, right? He will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He's a warrior. He's a warrior. And he has wrath. He's going to act. So let's sum all this up. I think a fair summary of this attribute of God. God's wrath is his just action. So it's just, it's fair, it's true, it's based on a fair standard. It's action, it's not just a feeling. It's his just action in response to his hatred of evil. So his wrath, yes, it is a passion for him. He hates what is evil. He should. And his wrath then is the action he takes. It's just and perfect. God's wrath is his just action in response to his hatred of evil. Another thing we should see about God's wrath is that it's here and it's coming. It's both here and it's coming. 
Most of the rest of our time, I just wanna walk through the epistle of Romans and see in little pieces how Paul uses the idea of God's wrath. Uh, look at Romans 13, four. Romans 13, four. Look what Paul says here. For the government is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's the servant, God, servant of God, an avenger who carries out what? God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So what we see here is one way that wrath is coming now is discipline that might actually result in grace. Discipline that might actually result in grace. Here's what, here, one example, right? What is government supposed to be? Now don't think Paul's naive, right? Who's, the, who's in charge when Paul's walking about? Nero of Rome, okay? You remember him? Is he always just and true and right? No. In fact, we've never seen anything the likes of him in this country. So he, Paul had it worse than we do. But he says, this is what the government's supposed to be and what it is sometimes. Romans 13, four, the government is God's what? Servant. God has a government here. Uh, if, you, if you hate the government, and we all do sometimes, it would be far worse with no government. Nobody wants anarchy. Nobody wants anarchy. Government is servants for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. He doesn't wear the, bear the sword in vain. He's a servant of God. He carries out God's wrath. You imagine somebody shooting up the neighborhood. Who are you gonna call? The faithful Fountain Valley Police Department. Got some great officers over there, and what are they gonna do? They're gonna come and they're gonna take care of business. And when the business is taken care of, guess what all the neighbors are gonna do? They're gonna rejoice. Praise God for God's wrath through the government to stop the evildoer. More than that, you know, this kind of disciplined, consequential wrath, getting what you, have, getting what you deserve for what you've done. My, my dad and my mom are both involved in prison ministry. And they have so many wonderful stories of folks who really made a mess of their lives, faced God's wrath, and through that horrible experience, met Jesus. They met Jesus. So one way, right, it gets, it gets, more, uh, gets more complicated with levels on God's, laugh, God's wrath. One way is happening right now is just consequences for evil things we do that may or may not end up in grace in our lives. So come on, don't, don't some of you have stories where you did something totally stupid and evil and you face some consequences for it and God actually used that in your life to humble you or to bring you to himself or to do something good? I think we'd have lots of stories like that. So that's one way of looking at God's wrath, how it's happening now. Discipline that might actually result in grace. Here's another way, and these ways get scarier. Look at Romans 1, 28 to 31. Romans 1, 28 to 31. In Romans 1, 18, Paul's already said, started saying the wrath of God is revealed. It's here right now. It's coming right now. It's all around us right now. And here's, here's what it looks like. End of chapter 1, Romans 1.28. First thing you see, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, so what are human beings not doing? That first line. We won't acknowledge him. We know he's there, creation shows us, it's so big and so beautiful, we know there's a God, but in our hearts, we're, how do we feel about him? We don't want him, we don't like him, we won't honor him, we won't acknowledge him. And so, what does God do? And this is, in this context, this is God's wrath. Look at that next phrase. 
So Romans 1.28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God did what? What did he do? Gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Here's what Paul is saying. God's wrath is revealed right now in that he gives you what you want. This is one of the scariest examples of God's wrath. He gives you what you want. So when your heart looks at God and says, I don't want you, I'd rather be selfish and abuse people and live for my pride or my passions or my whatever, God's wrath comes sometimes when he says, okay. And he gives you what you want. He gives you over. He doesn't mess with you anymore. He's not hitting you anymore. He's just setting you free to have what you want and go your own way. And that freedom that he's giving you to leave him is his wrath. Scary. Look at this. Verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Do yourself a favor and find yourself in here, unless you're perfect. If that's you, you're probably going to the wrong church. You won't fit in very well. Um, Find yourself in here. They were covetous. God's wrath sometimes is to let you keep being covetous to where you keep saying, I can't live if I don't have what that person has. And it makes you more and more bitter and you follow that road your whole life. They were full of evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, strife. I like to cause fights. I like to have enmity with people. Let's quarrel, let's fight. And at first you feel in your conscience that's wrong, but you don't, you don't repent, you don't turn to God, and he finally gives it over, and you just love to fight more and more and more, and the sin just wins out on you. Or how about this one right before verse 30? They are gossips. Gossips. God could give you over to where you just love to gossip, and you, you get, get a thrill from talking junk about other people to other people. And it's not just that God's wrath will come for that, it's that that is God's wrath. Love for sin, yikes. Gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, it's cocky, haughty, boastful, inventors of evils. Now pay attention to this, kids. What's the next phrase? Oh my word, did he have to say this? Disobedient to parents. There it is in God's word, right? The kids are in the audience. You pursue disobeying parents? You think that's good? You don't care what your parents say? That could be God's wrath. Foolish, faithless, or look at this, heartless. I'm crushed right here. Heartless, what's it mean to be heartless? You just don't care about people. You don't care about people. Are there groups of people you don't care about? This kind of person, the Democrats, the Republicans, these people, I don't care about them. The unborn. Heartless. It's God's wrath. That's That's scary, isn't it? God's wrath is seen now in giving us what we want. That helps explain a lot of what we see in the world, I think. It's not just that God's wrath is coming, it says God's wrath is here. We are like this. Where are we going? Man, what's going on with our hearts? And of course, the, the, the ultimate way God's wrath comes 
final judgment. The ultimate way God's wrath comes, final judgment. Uh, look at Romans 2. Romans 2, 3 to 5. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those, uh, those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, you'll escape the judgment of God? Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here Paul's after the self-righteous, the religious self-righteous. They think they're good people on their own. And that understanding gives them a a position of looking down on others. And he says right here, right? You're judging people, and yet you're not keeping your own standard. And you're looking out on the world and saying, oh, God's gonna judge you. And Paul's saying to people who look at the world like that, do you realize God's gonna judge you? Look at verse four. You presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. So they get food and life every day. They don't feel God's wrath come down on every sin. And so they think, oh, it's never gonna come. I've got no problem. And Paul says, you don't get it. His kindness toward you every day is meant to lead you to what? Repentance, turn towards him. Abandon rebellion, turn towards him. And then verse five, man, that's heavy business. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, so because you won't turn due to God's kindness, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Maybe there's somebody in here who has an experience where you bought stock and it was a good decision. You can tell us about that later. I would like to know what that's like. Um, you bought stock and it was a good, a good decision or you, or you found a way to really make your money work for itself. You're getting 10% a year or something. It just grows and it grows and it grows. And then it's just growing. After 40 years of that, 50 years of that, 60 years of that, you're just loaded. And Paul says, that's what we're doing with God's wrath. He's kind to us. We don't feel his wrath every time we sin. So we just keep sinning. We're self-righteous towards people. He gives up. We keep doing it. We keep doing it. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 60 years, 70 years. And it's just incrementally growing. You're storing up wrath. And then one day, the bull tips. And the day comes. And wrath falls. Look what Jesus said. You know, some people say, hey, the God of the Old Testament, that boy's cranky. New Testament, Jesus is nice. So I just need you to quote Jesus. Quote Jesus, okay? Luke 12, four. I tell you, my friends, what's he saying? Don't fear those who kill the body. I think that's funny, because I'm afraid of those people. What can they do? Kill you. Jesus, that's scary. (laughs) He says, that's actually no big deal. It's no big deal. If you're worried about that, You don't have a clue what to be worried about. Don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. That's it, that's all I can do is kill you? Verse five, I will warn you who to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Fear that guy. Hebrews 10, 31 gives a famous phrase. It's a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He knows. He's perfect. He knows. What is God's wrath? It's his just action in response to his hatred for evil. 
It's here and it's coming. Why do we need it? Why do we need it? Um, you know, we have this question, how can God be wrathful if he's loving? Do you think that works? How can he be wrathful if he's loving? I, I don't wonder if a better question might be, how can he not be wrathful if he's loving? How can he not be wrathful if he's loving? You know how this works, right? You love anybody in your life? How do you feel towards someone who wants to hurt someone you love in your life? Somebody wants to hurt your grandkid. Wrath. Why? Because you love your grandkid. Anytime you love something, you're going to hate the destruction of that thing. Anytime. You know, it's very common in our day to say, hey, God is love. He's not wrathful. Tim Keller walks through kind of um, being amazed at how this argument can possibly work. So he, he, he talks about studying various religions and, and they're, what they actually say in their books. And he says, really, there's no religion on the market that has a loving God, a purely loving God. Buddhists don't believe in a personal God. The Hindu gods, not loving. Look at the statues, crazy business. Um, Islam, he will forgive, maybe. And he has a, a certain kindness. But he's, when you look at the language of Christianity, God is love, he's gonna make us his children, he's gonna make us his bride. Uh, the idea that God is love, that is actual point of fact, that's copyright Christianity. There's nobody else who really says this. And yet, the same book that says, hey, God is love, like, love like you can't believe, guess what it also says about love? Or, or about God, I'm sorry. He's wrathful. He's wrathful. So the idea that love and wrath can't go together is really our own invention, kind of stealing pieces of Christianity. Love and wrath go together. Wrath's not God's first preference, but because he loves what is good, he must hate what is evil? And you realize what we would have to say if God had no wrath. Like you think of a, you know, the Hitler is always the great example to use. I mean, he got off easy, didn't he? He got off easy. He just ruined the world. And then when he's time to face the music, shoots himself. That's it? That's it? Is that justice? Can that be justice? Does God care about it? That's it? Well, what if he's gonna answer to God forever? If God doesn't have wrath, he doesn't, if he doesn't care about the value of what's good and he won't fight for it. He doesn't care about the value of what's good. We need him to have wrath. Uh, there's a theologian from Yale named Miroslav Volf and he's interesting because he's from Yale and because he's Croatian. And so he saw the bloodbath that happened there and this is what he says about God and his wrath. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. Then he says this, the only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence by ourselves is to insist that violence is legitimate only when it comes from God. The practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. So here, here's what he's saying. When you see evil done, especially horrible evil, especially to you, what do you want to do? I know what you want to do. I want to do it too. I want to get revenge. I want to pay it back. I need justice. So here's the idea. If there's no God who's going to bring justice and revenge, 
guess who justice and revenge falls to? Us. So now, plug this in. Think about this. That means that if there's no God of wrath, our only hope is to keep killing each other. That's where this goes. But if there's a God of wrath who says, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it both for you and for them. What does that enable? Romans 12, 19. Beloved, what? Never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. Why? Leave it to the wrath of God. For vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is amazing. People say, well, if you believe in a God of wrath, it's just gonna bring religious wars and you're gonna fight people more. God is wrathful, you'll be wrathful. The Bible says false. If you don't believe in a God of wrath, you're gonna realize that the only hope for justice is on you and you're gonna fight like hell. But if you know there's a God of wrath and if you're humbled by that God of wrath and if you trust that God of wrath, that'll actually give you what you need to never get revenge because you can trust him for it. In other words, the hope for peace is a God of wrath. That's amazing. Both in your soul and in relationships, the hope for peace is a God of wrath. So we need, uh, we're both, I mean, simultaneously, we're scared of a God who's wrathful, for sure. But we need him to be wrathful because it shows us there's somebody out there who cares about good and who's gonna fight for it. And, there's, and, and we can trust him so much, we don't have to fight and get vengeance ourselves. How should we respond to the reality of this God? Well, the first thing to do is realize the wrath that you deserve and run, don't walk, run to Jesus, right? Run to Jesus. Look at Romans 5, 6 to 9. I love this. Uh, let this heal your soul, okay? I know if you're anything like me, you think you have to do it right for God to love you. I still think that sometimes. God would love me if I just did something enough or did it better. Let this heal you. Why we were still what? Weak. What'd you do right when you were weak? Nothing. At the right time, Christ died for the who? Ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Verse seven, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though I guess, perhaps, right? For a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, when? While we were still sinners. Did God say to you, uh, if you start to like me, then I'll die for you? It's while you hated him, he died for you. Since therefore we have now been justified his blood, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If you, you see that you've broken the law, you haven't loved God, you haven't loved your neighbor, you haven't kept your own standard, you've been a hypocrite, you haven't done the good things you should have done, you've done bad things you shouldn't have done, you just, you see God's holiness and his wrath and you realize, I've been storing it up, I got a wrath bank account uh, and it's getting bigger. It's like a credit card I can't pay off. It's growing. And you think, what am I gonna do? There's nothing I can do to atone for these sins, there's nothing I can do to fix it. You look to Jesus you look to Jesus who justified you by his blood. If you repent and trust in him, he justifies you by his blood. That word justification, so beautiful. What does it mean? In Sunday school for kids, we do it like this. 
He made it just as if you never sinned. That'll work. Just as if you never sinned. Here's the deal. On the cross, Jesus takes as your substitute all the wrath that you deserve for every one of your sins. Every one, every drop. He takes it for you in your place willingly out of his love. He takes it. And, in, and, and so as he takes the wrath for your sin, he then gives you his standing of righteousness. So that if you trust in Jesus, God unites you to Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And then God's view of you now is not based on all your failures and all your mistakes. It's now based on what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. So the, so the God, the righteous judge, says to you in his courtroom, justified, perfect, righteous, which means his justice is satisfied, and so what does he no longer have any of for you anymore? The wrath of God. We sang it today, and on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. There we have this promise, Romans 8, 1. There is now no, what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's not any more. So remember, I talked about kind of three levels of wrath in Romans. Uh, disciplinary wrath, right? The, the government comes, or consequence for your, what you've done, okay? There's never any condemnation in that anymore for a Christian. It's all for your good. Now, don't hear me say there won't be consequences for bad behavior. There will. I guess you could imagine a spanking for an unruly child. You can think of King David. God loved him when he did his mess. Oof. Made life hard. So sure, there'll be consequences in this life. But it's never condemnation if you're in Christ. He's going to use it for your good. His heart for you in it is love. And he's never going to give up on you. He's not going to leave you there. The second level, um, remember the second level of wrath is giving us what we want and our hearts just getting lost in selfishness and wickedness. Well, in Christ, guess what God does for our hearts? He changes them, right? He's wrestling with us. He's teaching us. He's holding us so that we begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. So that wrath is undone as well. And then, of course, the wrath of final judgment. You know, if you want later, read 2 Thessalonians 1. Amazing picture on wrath. And when Jesus comes back in wrath and everybody is scared to death, Paul says, you'll be saved from the wrath of God on that day. When Jesus the King comes back with wrath, you'll be scared and then he'll be like, we're cool, I know you. I love you. And then Paul in 2 Thessalonians 1, he says, he comes to bring wrath on those who don't obey the gospel and it says he comes to be marveled at by his people. So we'll just stand there and go, wow, Jesus. The wrath of God is satisfied in Jesus Christ. Run to Jesus. Second thing to do, follow in his steps. Follow in his steps. Are you children of your father who's loved you, satisfied his wrath? Look at Romans 12, 9. What does he say, Romans 12, 9? Let love be genuine. And what's next? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. How's your father feel about evil, your father in heaven? Well, we've been talking about it all morning. Wrath. Test yourself when you're uh, being entertained. 
Are you entertained by things that God hates? And does he want that for you? There's a line somewhere in there. What about the sin you excuse in your own heart? Do you have any of that? I mean, I know other people, they're evil when they sin. When we do it, we were tired, right? It was a hard day. How should we, how should we strive to feel about our own sin? Abhor it. Ugh. Ugh. Enough. Jesus died for this. God hates it. I want to hate it too. Hold fast to what is good. Because our God has wrath and wrath satisfied for us in Christ. Another thing, just love people, right? Let love be genuine. I don't know how this can't push, I don't know how the idea of the wrath of God can't push us to evangelism. I mean, if you believe this, that God's wrath is coming, if you believe that people have been storing it up, if you love people at all, what are you gonna wanna tell them? <laughs> There's a way out of God's wrath. Look at Jesus. And again, people in, probably around you don't, may not have a concept for this. You're gonna have to get to know them, see what they think. But talk about it. They're gonna, they're gonna show you their wrath about something one day. It's a great bridge to say, think about how God feels. He's holy. Now you're started. You got angry at that march? I wonder how God feels. He's holy. You know what? That scares me because it makes me wonder how about, about my own sin. Start with yourself. I'm so thankful Jesus has set me free from the wrath of God. Have you ever heard this idea before? What do you think of it? Tell them about it. Tell them about it. Tell them about what Jesus has done. Last one, our text that we read today. If you have a serious view of the wrath of God and how Jesus has saved you from it, Romans 12, 17 to 21. Repay no one evil for evil. When do you repay evil for evil? Never, never. This is such a challenge. Never, never repay evil for evil. This is a man who's been stoned and left for dead. This is a man who's been whipped. He's not just talking about when somebody said something mean to him once, although that's included. But he's not naive about this. Never repay evil for evil. If you look at the last verse, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Come on, don't we even do this in our close relationships? Your, your spouse, your friend, um, they slighted you somehow. How do you tend to respond to them in the next moment? The shoulder got a little bit colder. The barbs came shooting out. Just a little. Do you know the button to push? Did you do that? You do that at home? That's a little mini revenge, isn't it? You gotta get justice for yourself. They've mistreated you. Hmm. This verse doesn't mean don't talk assertively and honestly with people, of course. But it means you're never doing it for vengeance. You're never doing it to pay them back. Never repay evil for evil. If you do that, you're overcome by the evil. You know, we say, hey, I hate the evil that person did, so I'm gonna respond with evil. I don't think you hate the evil that person did. You just hated how they confronted your pride. If you really hated evil, if I really hated evil, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Never repay evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. And you know, Paul says this is honorable in the sight of all. Everybody's amazed by this when people do this. I'll close with this story. You remember the shooting that happened in Charleston, South Carolina. Some white supremacist nut walked into a Bible study at an African-American church. 
They welcomed him. They were nice to him. He was there, what, 30 or 45 minutes, and then he shot nine of them. You ready for wrath? The Washington Post ran an article. I'll just read part of it to you of what happened later. The relatives of the people slain inside the historic African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina, were able to speak directly to the accused gunman Friday at his first court appearance. One by one, those who chose to speak at a hearing did not turn to anger. Instead, while he remained impassive, they offered him forgiveness and said they were praying for him, even as they described the pain of their losses. Nadine Collier, whose mom was killed, 70-year-old mom, said, her voice breaking with emotion, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I'll never talk to her again. I'll never hold her again. But I forgive you. She could say that because she believed in the wrath of God and because she knew that Jesus had saved her from the wrath of God. That's the kind of people we need to be. God has wrath, but he's removed it from us in Jesus because of that good news. Share it, live it, overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we honor you, fear you for your righteous wrath. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ and how all your wrath is satisfied. Help us to repent, to come to you, to trust you, to uh, give ourselves to you and to feel and to know that you've forgiven us. You're not angry anymore. Your heart is full of love. The wrath is gone. And Lord, as we delight in what you've done for us in Christ, let us then be ready to hate the evil that you hate, to love what is good. Lord, to tell others about what you've done. And finally, Lord, to never, ever repay evil for evil, but to give you glory as we forgive, trusting you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.